Welcome to another edition of Miles Moore Madness. I'm your host, CJ Moore, joined as always by Coach Tim Miles on a sad Monday in, in basketball, the basketball world. Uh, lost Kobe Bryant yesterday. Um, very, very, um, just a bummer, bummer day to on Sunday. I found out, Tim, right before I was uh, going to coach my son in uh, his seventh grade basketball game. And, you know, I know Kobe was on his way to to go coach his his daughter and um I know how much I look forward to those games coaching the uh the flying squirrels and uh I'm sure for him like that that's probably it, it's it's one of the favorite parts of my life and uh I'm sure it was the same for for Kobe for somebody who loves basketball as much as he did so um really 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 sad day and uh looking forward to uh to getting back and talking some some basketball and and um Tim how was uh, how was your weekend well, I, I think it's one of those moments when, when the accident happened and Kobe and, and his daughter, Gigi, you know, died in that tragic accident along with seven others. And, uh, you know, you think of the impact that that's had on just the whole country, but it's certainly one of those moments where everybody will remember exactly where they were and what they were doing. I was driving in my car um, and uh, going to pick up my father. Uh, he's going to come spend a couple weeks with us at 93 years old. And, you know, immediately when they said, initially, I think there were five people reported, uh, you're like, you know, it's Sunday afternoon. Uh, I knew that he was involved in coaching and I'm thinking like, you know, and they were reporting he often used a helicopter to avoid traffic and he used it, you know, to keep his health. And, and you're thinking like five people, there's probably one pilot, maybe two, but that means there's at least two other people with him. And a bit, you know, I was just praying that there weren't children involved. And unfortunately there were, and, you know, it's just tragic and his impact is profound. And, and, uh, and, you know, the impact he had on so many people, you can see immediately, you know, they, and with social media, you can see those and hear those stories uh, almost in firsthand where that used to never happen before, but it'll be a day that lives in infamy, no doubt. Yeah, for sure. It just um, when I first saw it, somebody put it on my friends chat. I I just didn't think it was real. Like I went right to to Twitter to um, to start looking it up, and uh, just just didn't seem real. Still doesn't really seem real. Um, I think that uh, you know, the, isn't it amazing? Uh, red, by red, the way, isn't it amazing that we go to Twitter to find out breaking news? Yeah, you know, I was on yeah. Twitter you know, and driving, uh, you know, unfortunately that was risky. And, uh, but you go to social media to find out what the most updated news is, you know, and, and you get it in real time. It's amazing. Yeah. And you know, one thing that was disappointing yesterday is there was some, some reckless, um, tweeting going on as people were trying to break things for some reason, you know, before they had the, the facts. And that was, that was probably the most disappointing of it. Um, for, for me. And, um, you know, I encourage people to, to go to the athletic today. All of our Kobe Bryant content is free and, and open for anybody to read. Uh, I read a piece this morning by our, our Atlanta Hawks beat writer who talked to, to Trey young, who had just talked to Kobe and his daughter yesterday. Apparently, um, Gigi was a huge fan of, of Trey young and they had, you know, the three of them had kind of developed a relationship. That one was a really good one. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's, there's some really good Kobe Bryant stories on the, on the site. And, um, you know, it's, I, I just found myself reading everything I could this morning and, 
uh, it's hard to process. But let's let's move on to some uh, some some college basketball. We've got a college basketball show and stuff to talk about. And uh, I want to start with uh, Illinois because uh, you know I think that that's becoming one of the best stories in college basketball. Uh, Lai and I have won six straight. Uh, one at Michigan this weekend on Io Desumi. Desuma, am I saying that right, Tim? You, you, you're the Big Ten guy. Io Desumu. Desumu. Um, too many syllables in there for me. Um, what did you? Uh, what do you think of this this turnaround? Um, Matt Norlander at CBS had a good article I thought last week. I, I sent over to you. Um, you know about the changes Brad Underwood has has made. If he comes from the the Bob Huggins school, uh, coached under Frank Martin. A lot of pressuring up on the perimeter, denying everything, and the line. I, you know, he he had some uh, analytics guys come in and give him some advice, and he kind of changed the way they play this year. And uh, you know, their 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 turnover rate defensively is down, but they're fouling a lot less often, and it's it's really worked out for them. Want want to get your thoughts, Tim, on on how hard that is to to basically do something you've done your whole career, coach a certain way, and then to be willing to change. And just what do you think of this this turnaround from the Illini? Yeah, the, the pressing teams and pressure teams, you know, I, I can't remember one in the Big Ten that's been highly successful. Um, even in the, you know, I remember uh, when Shaka Smart uh, took VCU with his Havoc defense and went to uh, the Final Four, and then the next year, played a big 10 team and got beat by, you know, 40 or 35 or whatever. It's hard to press in the big 10 when your guards, first of all, everybody's got so much skill and your guards are six, five and six, six, and just everybody's a handler, you know? And so for, you know, coach Underwood, if people didn't know, it was just, uh, and coach Huggins, it's just completely in your face, you know, uh, stand on top of people deny. And what happens is you end up, you know, it gets a little reckless. So you foul a lot. Uh, and then, uh, and then you also give up layups, you know, uh, but you also force turnovers, but in college basketball, I don't believe you can ever turn people over enough, uh, to win. And I'm going to just, I'm going to back that up with, uh, evidence, right? Tim Miles' division one coaching career started with two road games against ranked opponents, uh, at Wisconsin, sorry, Michael Beller. But in Michael Beller's behalf, at Marquette, two road victories over ranked teams. Do you care to know how many times we turned it over in those two games, CJ? I'm going to guess less than 10 times each game. 52 times. Oh, wow. That's crazy. And, and you won both of them? 20s, That's 26 turnovers each game, and we won them both. And I, I still remember the question. I think it was at uh, Marquette. I don't know. Um, and a reporter said something about the 26 turnovers. And I'm like, you know, at the time, I'm like, I'm late. so I don't give a crap. I'm like, hey, turnovers are overrated. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as long as we throw it out of bounds or travel and don't throw it to them. Uh, but honestly, I, I just so I had this kind of. Uh, and I was making the same change. I had been a pressure deny uh, uh, guy trying to win the turnover margin. Uh, but, you know, I remember Mike Dunlap had took, given me a quote one time. He said, if we, when he was a division two coach, if we're plus five in the turnover margin, uh, we're going to have a winning record. If we're plus six, we'll win our conference. Plus seven, we'll go to the elite eight. 
And if we're plus like nine, we can win the national championship. And that's just averaging plus nine. And I'm thinking, wow, I mean, that's hard to do, to, to be plus nine in turnovers, you know, over and over and over. And so my point is, is, is it's, it's hard to win at a high level when you're dependent just almost solely on one, on one area of the game. And I like Brad Underwood. I respect him a great deal. And I have, you know, early in the year, I was saying, you know, I, they're going to be an NCAA tournament team. Uh, they have two of the best big guys in the league and two of the best guards in the Big Ten. You know, if you look at the top 15 players, they might have at least four of them. You know, that's over 25% of the good players in the league, right? And so, as so, you know, I always felt they were going to be good. And, you know, here a week ago, I'm like, ooh, they might win the league, <laughs> you know? And so credit to them. But so the change has been uh, – you know, and it just makes sense. If you think about, okay, we're filing, we're giving up layups. So we always had a joke. Uh, and again, uh, drink from the cup of easy baskets. I changed it when I started with the media stuff to drink from the chalice. I won't say it's a pimp chalice, but it's close. A chalice of easy baskets. And chalice of easy baskets is layups in transition or out of your offense, of course, for free throws, you know, getting to the foul line and second shots. Um, uh Second shots, uh, you know, off uh, offensive rebounds or kick out threes, you know, and transition threes. You know, I mean, those are the things. And and so they're giving up, you know, they're they're just handing you half of your production of easy baskets. And so many times, if you just play rock solid defense, a team can hardly get any. And in a league like the Big Ten, where it feels like there's got to be a tremendous amount of contact to get a foul call. You know, and here they are far and away above. So I think it was a good adjustment by Brad. You can see why Huggins stayed out of the Big Ten. Uh, a guy like Shaka never took a Big Ten job. You go against those Big Ten schools and you try and press them. And it just feels like, you know, uh, well, that's why you rarely see it. Even in league games, guys just maybe foul or just say, well, we're going to live to fight another day. It's just so hard to press teams. And they kind of embarrass you. And that's what happened for a while. Brad's defense was in the, you know, uh, the bottom part of uh, uh, the league. Uh, and so he made the adjustments and I think he did the right thing. And you look at where they are now, they're rock solid and they're playing and they're so physical. They're just so physical with Georgie Bishanishvili, Koki, uh, Kofi Coburn, and uh, and then Ayo Desumu and, and Trent Frazier. And, and then their role guys like Alan Griffith, who was going to come off suspension after that stupid foot stomp. And, but they've got other guys even. Uh, I've had them uh, on um, on a TV broadcast and it was just watching practice and then uh, had to see him play and they held Purdue to sit 36 points. And I, I was surprised Purdue got to 36. And, you know, it's taken a little bit for it to really get, get rolling because they didn't have a great start to the season. Uh, you know, lose a game in early December to Miami and Miami's just not very good. That was a home game. Then lose it right after that to open against Maryland. I, I do challenge you. I, why do you think that you know Huggins has had success with this style in the in the Big Twelve? And I know you know Huggins has pulled back a little bit. They're not pressing nearly as much this year. Still forcing a lot of turnovers, but not as much as in the press Virginia years. And you know more of a emphasis I think this year for West Virginia on forcing tough shots and you know holding teams to low percentage of shots they're they're number one in the country in effective field goal percentage right now they have the the number one defense at Ken Palm and adjusted efficiency West Virginia does but why do you say 
it won't work in the Big Ten, but you think it can work in a in a league like the Big Twelve. And you know, you brought up Shaka Smart. He actually has gone away who he was at, at VCU. You know, Texas has never really pressed since he's been at, at, at Texas. But why do you think it's the Big Ten and the Big Twelve? What's what's different about those leagues? Because I'd say the caliber of talent is probably similar. Well, you're trying to get me to say something to get me in trouble, and, uh, <laughs> but but it. It's, it's probably not that well thought out because I would tell you this, because I haven't been in the big 12. Um, and, uh, but the other thing is that, you know, Huggins had been it when, when Huggins went to press Virginia, I don't think he started that way. I no, think he, didn't. He, he developed that way. So I think he had a chance to recruit to it longer than Brad did. I, I just think it's a hard, unless you are, you know, really geared up with the depth and the length that you need in those things. Uh, I don't think that you can, um, it's just hard to start that way, first of all. And it's hard to be that way unless you have, I think this, all the, the you know, like the certain types of guards that can pick up and the physicality and the, and the mentality those things take. I just think it's, it's harder at the highest level because there's just more skill. There's more dangerous weapons on the floor. Uh, you get the most athletic guys with the most skill that can do the most. I mean, I've been division, I've been NAI, uh, division two, division one, independent, mid-major division one and high major division one. And so the the thing about the highest level, whether it be the big 10, the big 12 or wherever, it's just hard. And I would say the reason Huggins was successful that way in the big 12 took some time. And also when, you know, if he didn't quite have the right pieces of the puzzle, he didn't do it. So I think you've kind of, you almost define yourself to a, such a certain set of circumstances, you know, that, you know, you're only going to be a great pressing team if you have every, you know, all these different things involved. Now, if you're UNLV and you want to press in the big West, you're going to get away with it. And you might be able to get away with it. Then when you have Larry Johnson, Anderson Hunt, uh, Greg, uh, who's a broadcaster, uh, Greg um, Anthony, Greg Anthony, yeah, Cole's dad, you know, got uh, all these dudes, you know what I'm saying? Well, then you can press everybody. Uh, but, you know, it's not going to be successful at a high, high level, I don't think, unless, uh, again, I think it, it's a very um, definite uh, structure in terms of how you put a team together. And unless you have all the pieces of the puzzle and all the depth, you, you, it's hard to do well at the highest levels or at the most uh, highly competitive times against your best opponents. Yeah, I think you have to have the right personnel. I mean, you go back to the 1990s when – Rick Pitino was winning national championships at, at Kentucky. Um, they were winning that way. Uh, Arkansas with, with Nolan Richardson. I mean, I realize it's a, it's a different era. And with, with Huggins, when he decided, you know, he, he wasn't doing it at all um, until the 2014-15 season. And um, going into that year, the year before, they had gone um, 500 in the Big 12, which the year before that, I believe they went six and 12 in the big 12. So he'd had two down years in a row. So like you're thinking, obviously like I got to do something different, kind of like Underwood, you know, has had a couple bad years. You're thinking I got to do something different. He had a bunch of guards, um, had depth and, uh, Kevin Mackey who played this way in the, in the eighties at Cleveland state was the one who suggested to him. I wrote about this back in the the first year of, of press Virginia and and talk to talk to Kevin for that story. And um, so that was kind of a a cool deal with how that happened. I think it kind of was a shock to the big 12 system, like caught everybody off guard. Cause you, when you, 
I do think when you have a unique style like that and not everybody sees it all the time, it can work for at least a, a few years where if you do it really well, like like anything in basketball, if you do it really well and you have the right personnel for it, you can you can play that way. But I understand your I think your point is, hey, it's really hard to get the personnel to to play that way, and um, you can't just force it. And I think maybe Brad Underwood was trying to force it with maybe not the guys that that really fit what he wanted to do. No question, and 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 you're right, and it's just a, it's a unique way to play, and especially if there's uh, own, you know, if nobody else is doing it in your league, you always like to be the most unique team. You like to be a separate prep where we do things. There was, you know, uh, for instance, I ran one, three, one, and I know John Beeline ran one, three, one, but he really didn't do it much at Michigan. Uh, so when I was doing one, three, one in the big 10, but our one, three, one was different. You know, uh, you know, I kept our baseline guy home. Uh, so we, we stacked our bigs, one at the free throw line, one under the rim. So if you were going to penetrate, you had to go through our two biggest guys. And then we had some length on the point and the wings, uh, but you really needed quickness on the wings because they had to play the wing and the corner. And it was effective for us, but it was also something that, you know, was unique to the, you know, we were one of the only few teams doing it. And in a 14 team league, that's usually not the case. So you see some different zones and you see some other things, but it's nice to be a, un- a unique brand in your league too. You know, it's always funny. Uh, uh, you think of uh, Nebraska football, you know, Tom Osborne. And if anybody can remember those days when, you know, he just he just absolutely uh, uh, recruited to a system and and they had this you know great defensive line. They they had these ridiculous offensive line and, the, and then this unbelievable skill at quarterback and quarterback who could run. It was funny that Coach Osborne told me, you know, you'll never win big in college football unless you can have a quarterback at some point that can run and make a game. And, you know, so, you know, that doesn't mean he has to be an option quarterback. It just means he has to be able to run. Right. Uh, And now you see that even in the NFL, that those guys aren't successful unless they can get out and run and, and, and do it. And so I I just thought it was kind of interesting that then you look at, uh, Oh, I forget the old guy's name at uh, Bill McCartney, maybe at Colorado basically copied you know, Nebraska and, and just went right at them and said, this, we're going to be, you know, we're going to do it too. And was able to win a national championship, even though they got like six downs or whatever to do it. Uh, uh, you know, so, you know, it was just uh, one of those things that, that I thought was interesting about, you know, a unique style of play and how it works in different sports and, 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 and such. And, uh, but I think that, uh, you know, it reminds me, uh, I heard a guy say one time, you know, um, uh, second is okay. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, take a good idea and make it great. And <clears throat> excuse me. So I don't have a cough button here. Uh, maybe I do. I just don't know where it is. On hit, my hit, hit the but, mood, mute on your Yeti. It's, it works. Well, it just hopped up on me. But, <laughs> so, you know, social media, the first one was what MySpace or whatever. And then Facebook and Twitter came in second. And they took good ideas and, and made them great in terms of profitability. And, and this, now I don't know if it's always great to be on social media or the way we're using it. I still think it's like this, you know, this kind of uh, drug that we don't know how to monitor in our own kids' lives, our own lives and how to get away from it. But I think there's going to be a whole new economy on social media rehab coming up. I think CJ, if we started our, you know, 
drying out from social media, a 12 step process, you know, uh, we'd probably be highly profitable here in the next five, 10, yeah. 15 years. No kidding. No kidding. I got some people. In so my I don't know how I got on that rant. <laughs> good, but, good rant. Good rant. Good rant. All right. So let, let's move on to a, um, Hey, speaking of social media, this is this, this next quote I'm about to read you is, I think our current climate, uh, social media influence and, and everybody wanting to be in, in such a rush. And another big win this weekend, or another big game this weekend was Kentucky going to uh, Texas Tech and winning there. And Nick Richards is another guy who's been a really good story in college basketball, has you know, was not a great player his first two years in school, even though the expectations coming out of high school were that he'd be pretty good. And finally it's come around for him this year. He's been really, really good for Kentucky and is a big reason why Kentucky's playing better basketball as as of late. And Kyle Tucker wrote about Nick and and some of the experienced guys on that roster after that win and uh, has a quote in his story that that I want to read that I think um, is – Great quote and a great perspective. And Nick Richards says, everybody has their own story. Just because I go to school that's known for one and done doesn't mean I have to be one and done. It took me time to develop over the past three years. I've had the best time of my life meeting incredible people, having the best coaching staff in the world training me to be the player I am right now and to be a player or sorry, and to be a better player for times to come. So I, I, first of all, let's send this to every player in America, young and old, uh, whether they're in high school or college. I, I think that perspective is pretty awesome. And my question for you, Timmy, how challenging is it to get guys to be patient, to, to think along these lines? Because everybody wants it right away, right? Like it's not cool. It's, it's hard to put on your Instagram story that, hey, I played, I played 10 minutes as, as a freshman <laughs> or whatever. You know, every, everybody wants it right away. And uh, I thought that was a really, really cool quote from Nick Richards. I love Nick Richards. You know, I heart Nick Richards. Uh, uh, <laughs> what a, a great perspective, first of all. And second of all, um, yeah, I mean, he didn't transfer. He stayed. You know, he didn't. I'm sure he griped and groaned. But, you know, the people in his ear were supporting him. And I, I just, I would like to see more of that. Um you know, I, I do understand you only have four years to get it right, but some of the reasons kids are transferring are so petty, and, um, you know, it's just disappointing. Uh, I, I don't, I guess most of us grew up in an era where you just kind of went to college and gutted it out. And there were some transfers, and certainly after my freshman year, I, I, I considered transferring, uh, but I was also, you know, uh, knew that I was probably best where I was, you know, it was probably the best situation. It was a well thought out decision in the first place. And just cause I wasn't getting what I wanted, but at the same time, uh, that's, that's a great perspective. And there's just so many guys in the G league that, you know, I, I was doing a, I've done studies on the big 10 and other conferences, just looking at, you know, um, I I've got like an eight, eight man, nine man recruiting depth chart. And I'm just trying to figure out like, if I need to modify that and I've had time off to study, you know, what I do and the mechanisms that I use to put together a team and stuff like that. And, and there's so many guys that I see were like on the all freshman team or honorable mention all conference, like their freshman or sophomore year. And then they just disappear their junior and senior year. So I start clicking around and they're in the G league. <laughs> they're in, 
they're, they're in Poland. They're in, you know, freezing their yang off. And, um, uh, and I'm like, you know, why? I, I don't get it. Why rush out of there? You're just becoming something. And um, I, I just wish that, you know, uh, Nick has a great perspective and, and uh, you wish you'd see more of that. And, and maybe we will. Uh, maybe we won't. But, uh, you know, I think that's where we are right now is that uh, the mentality is uh, if you go to Kentucky, you're one and done. If you don't get what you want, you leave. And, and I think for Nick to say, hey, you know, this is what I'm after is a little bit of a old soul perspective. And I like it. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was very cool. And I, and there are reasons to, to transfer, you know, maybe sometimes you might end up in a place where the culture is not what you thought it would be and you just don't fit as a, as a person and you're just not happy. And I, I think there are times when it's okay for, for a, a player to transfer. And you've benefited from, from some of those transfers, right, at, at Nebraska, where sometimes you do need to change the scenery, but, but sometimes you don't. And sometimes you just have to, to kind of wait your turn and, and improve because you're not good enough yet, right? And I think he realized that he wasn't good enough yet, and he improved, and he's running his own race. And, and uh, it's, a, it's a really, really cool thing to see and uh, love, love seeing guys like that who – who just develop and grow up because we, you know, I remember when I was 18, 19 years old, just as a person, I changed so much. And the, you know, players, basketball players change a lot during that time. And uh, so, so very cool to see. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, And I love it, but let's talk about the refs. Yeah. Let's talk about the refs again. Right. So you saw Mike Bray's rant, Notre Dame loses at Florida state. Mike Bray goes on a, rant about the officiating I'm going to read you some of it here in a second and I don't think he answered any questions from the uh the media which tis tis Mike Bray but uh I've I've had the privilege of interviewing Mike Bray in the past one of my favorite coach interviews in college basketball he is great um let's let me let me read you this quote Timmy sometimes we're treated by the official he's speaking about Notre Dame sometimes we're treated by the officials like we haven't brought football as a full member but yet we get a full share of the ACC network are you kidding me he tees up our bench from across the court because he's pissed off at us I'm frustrated man and then he said some nice things about Florida State and then he got up and walked out and he yells we're in the league too come on man come on John Gaffney John Gaffney being a one of the officials I'm guessing uh on on Saturday in that game so yes. Timmy you yes, ever you ever go on one of these yeah. how hard is it how hard is it to uh to hold back I'm sure there were some well, nights when you went yeah. into a press conference you just want to like let it loose and I'm sure there were some times when you probably did not let it loose so what are your thoughts well I never let it loose the way I wanted to I promise that and I, I think that you know coach this is the time of year first of all January is 31 days it is the longest damn month that, I mean, it's just so long in a basketball season and, and, you know, frustration does set in and, you know, I, I wouldn't be, or Mike, Mike Bray wouldn't be the first coach to maybe have a little conspiracy theory on his mind uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, a league or whatever it might be. You know, I always, I had Nebraska in five to seven years, we were in the quarterfinals of the big 10 tournament and the semifinals in the big 10 are played on CBS and Nebraska never made it once. Uh, and I was like, mm, maybe, maybe, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and w- maybe we're j- just weren't good enough to make the semis. But, um, you know, but you sit there as a coach and, and, and you do get frustrated and, and you do wonder where party politics do fall in line to things. But at the same time, usually it happens when you don't have enough talent or you're just not good enough that night or whatever it is that 
it falls to that least common denominator, which is basically the government, right? I mean, the, the refs provide the government of the situation. They are the they are the cop. They are the uh, they are the IRS if it comes to finance or the whatever you know. Uh, and so, whenever somebody doesn't like a rule or a law or the people enforcing it, it's easy to get you know to 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 yell at them. And so that's not unheard of. And and there's probably truth in each point, you know. Uh, oh that, come on, you think you think the the officials really give a crap that that Notre Dame is in a football their football no, team is in the no, ACC? No, I don't think the official does. <laughs> I, I don't. I really don't. That I'm sure the league but, does, but I I, but, but the what? league controls the officials. But still, go ahead. Yeah, but uh, yeah. And, and I think I, I wish the only thing I, w- I, I think the officials do a tremendous job. Uh, and I do wish that each get honestly, each league game that or each uh, if there's a controversial um, game defining call, that it's mandatory that they, you know, that the head official has to meet the pool reporters and explain what's going on um, Uh on any league game or any, again, like I say, a game defining call game, if it affects the outcome of the game, whether it be non-conference or conference, I think they have to do that in the NCAA tournament, right? Yeah, I do believe there's a, there's a report, there's an official available for like one report, maybe for just the pool reporter, I think can talk to him if I'm, if I'm right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that schools could designate or leagues could designate a pool reporter, like the hometown, whatever. And, you know, I mean, or it could uh, rotate among the AP guy and the, if you're in Nebraska, it might be the Omaha guy once or the Lincoln guy the next time and whatever it might be. Right. And so um, I, I just think when you have to answer for anything, you know, uh, it, it makes you better. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. And um, I, I do think that uh, there are times where the officials should be made available to the to the media. Or, or at least the whether it's a head official or if if the um, you know when the the league head of official is is around, I think you know if there's a if there's a game where there's controversy, uh, maybe he should be able to you know you should be able to get on a call with him or or something like that because sometimes the you know everybody else is held accountable and and has to speak to when they screw up so sometimes maybe the officials should have to too but but also realize it's a it's a, I mean I realize it's a really really hard job I've officiated myself in youth basketball but still it's it's a very very difficult job and there's a there's a lot of pressure on it but I, I do think there's there's times where they need to be held accountable and and answer to to some different things CJ it's also the what I call the tip of the iceberg is that it'd be good to get their perspective. And so the tip of the iceberg is that you say as a coach. So I tell my assistant coaches, all right, so here we see Billy's behavior and think of a, of, of an ocean, right. And think that you see this iceberg, this kind of a triangle shaped thing floating out of the water. And then if you could see underwater, you see there's this huge amount of ice, the iceberg, right? Only the tip of it is outside the water. You know, the mass of it is below the surface. And and that's what I always say, like when one of our guys may be having a bad day or acting up, you know, we see the tip of the iceberg and there's a whole massive story under the surface there. Yeah. Let's go figure out what, what's going on. And the same thing for the officials. The officials might have a, a whole big undertow that they can, you know, um, talk about like, hey, you know, we called this situation. It was this. We had had discussions with the coaches, with the players. It was clear. 
that this behavior wasn't, you know, we weren't going to allow it, whatever. And there's a whole, you know, new perspective. It's not just about accountability. It's about perspective too. So, I mean, I just view it a lot of different ways. It would clear up this kind of conspiracy to a degree, and it would allow the refs to say, you know, uh, hey, this is our perspective and this is our job and you don't always have to like our job. And that's what a coach does when it comes to playing time of a certain player or why we ran this certain play. And, and I, and, and then that becomes some accountability too. And so I think it's good for everybody. All right. Last thing I want to hit before we get out of here, Memphis is three and three in the American uh, Penny Hardaway came into the season talking about national championships. I know, you know, I know the recruiting is a big reason for hiring him uh, I'm, I'm not saying he was a bad hire in any any way, but I want to ask you, Tim, how, how many years do you think it takes at the D1 level to to really get what you're doing and, and until you have a, a a feel for things? And what do you just what are you over your overall thoughts about Memphis kind of getting off to this this rough start in, in Penny's second season where the expectations were really high? And we should mention James Wiseman was supposed to be a big part of of who they are and you know he's off training for the for the NBA but still you even take James Wiseman out of that recruiting class they still got some dudes they still got some players but I think it's important to point out too that they're they're really young and um I, I you know I, I think Penny but Penny deserves a little blame because he put the expectations a little high before this got got talking pre- pretty big game be uh before the season well I'm not going to give Penny Hardaway any advice. I, I highly <laughs> doubt he'd listen. But uh, I, when they got smacked by Tulsa by 40, I was I was surprised. And, and congratulations to Frank Haith and Dry Horn had a big game. I know him and his family well. Of course, coached him for a year, and uh, it was it was it was pretty interesting to see that and and surprising, but but good for Tulsa. Uh, you know, the one thing that's hard to do. It, one is hold a, you, you got to be careful of holding a coach accountable for saying something uh, under a certain circumstance, the circumstance changing, of course, Wiseman being gone. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then backing that up. So, but basically what that should tell you as a coach, you know, the lesson as a coach for Penny Hardaway, the catch, the lesson he's learning is, you know, the one we always say, and I've said it probably five times on this podcast is the team you think you have in October, November is rarely the team you have in January, February, March, mm-hmm. it, that could be good or bad, you know? Yeah. And in this case, they're not, the, you know, I mean, he might've looked it through the eyes of if, if with this group, if everything goes perfect, everybody stays healthy, mm-hmm. you know, you know, he's thinking of the best case scenario. I think we can win it all. And uh, you know, if we made 15 threes a game in the NCAA tournament, I think we get to the final four, you know, there's a best case scenario <laughs> for every team. You know what I mean? But that doesn't mean it's going to hold true. It's what's, attainable and what's uh and again it goes back to our nascar approach of trying to get the most out of that car that day and and you're not going to be coaching under your best case scenario all the time and you're not going to be coaching with maybe the team you taught because of injury illness or nca you know violations or whatever it was uh that went down with wiseman and and certainly that's too bad we can't watch him in college basketball he'd be boy there was a lot of great big men isaiah stewart well precious uh, is really a good big man. And then Wiseman, and then you get over to Duke's big guys and, and uh, the big guys in the Big Ten. And it was, um, I mean, there's there's great centers all over the place in college basketball this year. And so it's too bad Wiseman isn't around because you can imagine some of those second-round matchups and those Sweet 16 matchups with these centers that, you know, uh, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of them this year. And 
And so to see those guys, uh, you know, in those second and third rounds of the NCAA would be really good. But I think the lesson is that, that uh, it's hard in college basketball. It's hard to build a, a championship contender, and, and it's hard for anybody to do it over and over. You know, Michigan's tied for second to the last in the, in the uh, uh, Big Ten, but that doesn't mean Jawan Howard is not going to get it done at Michigan. So it takes time. It takes time to learn a league. It takes time to acclimate to a league. Uh, it takes time to figure out, you know, uh, you know, what works and what doesn't. And the American is a terrific league, high-level league. You know, when you they, I, I always kind of feel like, you know, everybody says Power Five, and then they kind of lap on the Power Six. I think they're including uh, the Big East, but really, if you look at the Big East and the American, basically, it's you know, essentially, it's the best of some other leagues and the old Big East. And so now, some of that's in the ACC now. I know, but. Um, uh, I, I just think the Americans probably as good as any league in those top leagues, you know, maybe not top to bottom, but those top three or four are really, really good. Yeah. And I'm, I'm interested to see how Memphis turns out the next couple of years, because I think when, when Fred Hoiberg went to Iowa state and had the success he had, I think, you know, a lot of schools have tried to repeat that St. John's Chris Mullins, uh, Georgetown, Patrick Ewing, now Memphis, Penny Hardaway, Michigan, Jawan Howard. The difference with Jawan and um, Patrick Ewing is they, they both did at least coach as assistant coaches in the NBA for a little bit. So so they did have some some coaching experience, not maybe what you expect coming into to, at a high major level. Um, but you know, Fre- I think Fred opened the door for some of these guys. And I wonder if this trend of, of these NBA guys going and, and becoming head coaches right away will maybe slow down a little bit because since Fred's done it, I don't know that anybody else has really been able to replicate it quite like he did. Um, so so as, as, as someone who's an observer of college basketball, that's, that's kind of something I'm interested to, to see how it develops these next, next, next few years because I think maybe – Athletic directors will maybe be a little slower to to, to jump at that. Um, these, and you know, back back in the day, we saw it fail many times with like Clyde Drexler comes to mind, guys like that. So um, it's just just some just something to keep an eye on. Yeah, you know, the sword cuts both ways, but at least Penny had his own AU team, and he hired Mike he Miller had his own AU yeah. team, so they they had a <laughs> stockpile of guys waiting for they, him. So they did. Um, you know, that's a good deal. Yeah, yeah, and and he's going to continue to recruit at a high level, and I'm I'm not like putting a bow on the the Penny Hardaway era. I think it, it it could still change. This is just one little stretch, but I do think it's something to uh, to watch and and, and kind of monitor and, and and see how that plays out. So, anyway, fun uh fun discussion today, Tim. Uh, like I said, sad day in basketball, but uh, some some good stuff going on in in, in college basketball and. We'll be back again later in the week with some picks. We're gonna we're gonna really really get into the picks this week and uh, break them down a little bit more. That's that's a request from our own Michael Beller. So uh, join us later in the week. And also, uh, I, I got big news, Tim. You, you, you excited? You ready for this big news? You're pregnant. <laughs> that's impossible. But okay, uh, okay. the next Miles More Madness, we'll be doing in person together. Tim and I, same room. Live. Look out. 
live kind of Let's i mean we're live. gonna record we're gonna record and then they then michael's gonna put it oh, out i don't know that live is okay, a possibility okay. but uh yeah in person so I'm, I'm looking forward to that it's gonna be in manhattan kansas folks so if you want to come Look join out. us at the lobby of the uh hilton garden inn or wherever cj's <laughs> staying uh or 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 maybe we might do it somewhere else but it'll be yeah. fun I'm, I'm looking forward to it uh my father and i and uh cj we're gonna go down to watch oklahoma and k-state a lot of connections there that we'll explain later, yeah. uh, but it uh, should be a lot of fun. And Siege, I'm looking to uh, hang out again in person instead of this uh, talking into this mic, watching uh, this equalizer bounce up and down or wherever the hell it is. And so uh, uh, it'll be good to see you. And hopefully the fight, fighting Michael Bellers do a hell of a lot better than they did this weekend. Yeah, no kidding, man. They're they're uh, it's it's been a my, my up and down season for you, hasn't it, Michael? Yeah, tune in tonight. Uh, I'm I'm not I'm not feeling so good about it at Iowa, but uh, hey, we'll see. I don't think the uh, Badgers offense can uh, can stick with what Iowa brings on what seems to be a nightly basis these days. But uh, Big Ten, right up and down, except for the Illini. There, there you go. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Enjoy Iowa, Wisconsin tonight, Oklahoma State, and Kansas also this evening. So uh, some some good games on the on the docket. And thanks to everybody for joining us. And stay efficient, America. Thank God CJ's not pregnant.